when you become a parent, you become a different person and we don't know who or what that person is going to be. And that can be really jarring for the relationship. Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howell, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of Expecting and Empowered, and we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need. We're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. I'm so excited for the two guests that we have with us today, Rachel and Stacy from Decoding Couples. Both are licensed marriage and family therapists dedicated to partnerships. They want to help couples break unhealthy patterns and provide tangible relationship support. The three of us were already talking about this interview. We want to meet you guys exactly where you are. We know we have a lot of busy and tired moms listening, but we know that you guys probably also want to get to a better place in your partnership. So I have personally learned so much from their Instagram feed. I feel like I am their biggest fan. They know the ins and outs of Drew and I's relationships because I'll be in their DMs. Not that you should do that, but we've built that relationship. (laughs) (laughs) So Rachel and Stacey, I just want you to introduce yourself to our audience and tell us why you started Decoding Couples in the first place. I'm Stacy and I'm Rachel <laughs> and we are Dakota couples. <laughs> so bad. Um, yeah, but we are Rachel and Stacy of Decoding Couples. We are both licensed marriage and family therapists with private practices in Los Angeles for Decoding Couples. We show up, as you said, on Instagram and we have some courses as relationship experts using all of our knowledge, not only from our private practices and our licenses, but from our own personal experiences, which is really, I think, how DC was born of realizing that there needed to be a space for people who weren't necessarily ready for couples therapy for whatever reason, but we're also struggling and dealing with the same type of stuff that was going on in our marriages. And Rachel and I are big believers in keeping it real and being direct, but also using our education. And so that is how DC came to be. Yeah. There was a lot of fluff out there. There was a lot of things that weren't applicable to real life. A lot of things like this would be a good idea and we'd go home and try it and it just wouldn't make a difference or it was just for unrealistic situations and partnerships. And we felt like we could probably be that in between if we needed it, someone else needed it too. Yes. Yeah. And you guys are nailing it just because the fact that you're willing to share your own relationship struggles and things that happen in real life. And like, not everything, it's like parenting, like not every hack works for every person. Like you might be dealing with a partner who needs to hear things 
a certain way. So we totally understand that. I do wish that I had you guys after I brought home my first child, like a lot of the messaging that was 2016. A lot of the messaging that I was soaking in was like, I only love my husband more after seeing him be a father. Oh my gosh, no. Like I can see that element. Like it is beautiful to see them, you know, holding your baby and everything like that. But like, there's just so much more to it. And like in this conversation, we want to kind of draw back the curtain and talk about the real, real. So one question that we get all the time is, if there are couples out there and they're about to meet their first child, what could they do to prepare? Because all three of us know this is a big shift in a relationship. Is there any preparing for like what's about to happen to you? So all the A-type personalities out there, there truly is no surefire way to prepare for this. There are things that you can do. Because I think to your point, Amy, that idea that we should be not should be, but there's like this kind of thing we're all shooting for, whether it's a feeling or experience, I think puts so much pressure and shame on moms and new parents. So of course it's going to weigh down the relationship even more. I think the thing we can all do that we should be doing continuously, but especially if we're adding a little one to the mix, whether it's for the first time or not, is getting very real about the roles in the family and in the relationship. And it's like doing an audit What is working right now about how we're taking care of the house, how we're taking care of finances, how we're dealing with, I don't know, activities with family, like the social calendars. If it's feeling unbalanced, it's about to feel a whole hell of a lot unbalanced when a new little life comes. And I think having those conversations now about I've got resentment here, I feel left out in the cold here is so crucial to making sure you are stronger, connected, and more on the same page when that new addition comes. Cause it does not get easier. That baby doesn't right. come out like, oh, great. Now yeah, we're stress free. Everyone's in, yeah, everyone's sleeping. Yeah. No one's engorged or angry or raw. We're fine. And I think that there's a lot of motherhood that gets spun that way that like, oh, look, this blessing and miracle, which they are now just alleviates everything. And it's sunshine. It's like, no way those dishes still need to get done. Those talks and stuff around money is still happening. Our sex issues aren't going anywhere. And those a lot of time have to do with roles, division of labor and mental load in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Did I forget anything? (laughs) I guess I would just add on to that. Yeah. The idea of talking about what's going on here and now, which I do think we avoid because pregnancy can be a sensitive time to bring up tough topics, but very important. And then I would also say expectations around how roles will shift once the baby comes in regards to childcare, when people are going back to work, like, what is the expectation? If my partner is going back to work in two weeks, does that mean that he thinks or that she may think all the housework is on me mm-hmm. on top of the childcare and keeping a child alive with my boobs? Or <laughs> am I expecting them to not only work their full-time job, but then to come home and be the housekeeper as well, right? Like all of those things become assumptions that are so they're just a breeding ground for resentment once the kid is here. Like to me, that would, I wish we had had a lot of those conversations as well. So 
The thing that I'm going to reflect back to you guys is what happened to me is after we had Max, I kind of felt like I was just like overcompensating. Like I wanted to prove that I could do this, but to be honest, what happened was like, I created really bad patterns in our partnership. And then when we had Trey, I just like burst, I was like, I cannot do this. Like, so when I think about first time moms, I'm like, okay, just because you can do everything, that's not a good pattern. And like that, even if you do, you guys are just going to have one kid, like it's going to catch up with you like that. You cannot do that. You still need downtime. You Mm -hmm. still need time that you can go out on your walk. You still need time to be a person. And I gave myself like none. So if women are feeling like they've developed some bad, not bad, but just like overwhelming patterns in their life, how can they start to ask their partner for more help? I mean, I think we are both big believers in kind of just calling it, calling it what it is and directly asking for what you need. I mean, I think the first step would be you have to recognize where you're overcompensating. And I also think that this could be where a lot of these conversations go wrong is that it can kind of just be like a word vomit or blow up of like, you're not helpful. Like Mm -hmm. I need more help. And then your partner is probably equally overwhelmed with whatever they're doing. It's just different overwhelms. And then they're like, well, if I'm already doing X, Y, and Z, what do you mean? I'm not helping. Right. So I think getting really clear and really specific about what you are needing. And then I think you just have to directly bring it up to your partner. And to Stacy's point, being very specific about what behavior needs to change or what needs to get taken off the table is much more important in the beginning than getting the kind of, I don't know, emotional feedback or the acknowledgement that they understand the toll that it's taking. Because I think, I do think partners, if we're overwhelmed or burnt out, we're looking also for a level of empathy or understanding when we're sharing, we want these things changed. We're not going to get that. We're not going to get that from our partners on the first try, on the second try, on the third try. It takes a lot for them to understand how deep all this goes because we've been upholding this system, to your point, Amy, for such a long time. And I do watch a lot of partners go, well, you know, I did task them with this and this, but then they made this comment. So you know what? It's fine. I just took it on on my own. Don't do that. Focus on the behavior because it's all about getting relief for you. It's about you getting that extra 45 minutes or two hours or whatever it is. We can work on building acknowledgement and empathy with your partner later. And it's a world they haven't been privy to because we've created that dynamic. And again, I think we have a false narrative of motherhood and marriage and all those things. It's like, I share with my partner. And then he goes, no problem, honey. I'll get right on that. And also let me be in the deep pains that is your body carrying it. That does not happen. That doesn't happen at all. So focus on the behavior, what you need change, be really clear about that. And we can work on having empathy and understanding later. But if you're struggling in burnout, you need those results. Yeah. I mean, I remember Trey, our second was home. I was like doing dishes and like tossing them around. Like I was just like literally <laughs> at my, and that actually does kind of feel good for some reason. It's just like a release. Passive aggressive scrub. <laughs> yes. But I'm like, okay. And now that, you know, we're four years down the road, 
and Drew and I have had so many chats that then it's like he needed specific, like, I was like, I'm overwhelmed, Drew. I am like, I'm at the end of my rope. And he's like, I need like specific, like, what do you want me to take? I think a lot of partners are willing to take things. And like, of course, I understand the point of women. Like, we don't want to be like the delegator, the nagger. But it's yeah. like, once I told Drew, like, babe, you always are just on on duty for dishes after dinner or whatever it is for you, like whatever they could take that would really help you. It's like that clear and specific communication instead of sitting in that, like I'm overwhelmed or like I was really resentful because I was never doing anything. He'd come home from softball at 9 PM. Both the kids are in bed and guess what? I was never asking to leave the house. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so can you talk us through, cause I know that there is that like bubbling resentment in some of our listeners. I relate to it because I used to feel it. If you're feeling that resentment, what are the first steps of like working your way out of that? Oh my gosh. Where do we even start? Acknowledging that resentment is at play, I think is important. We just did a whole story on this and got flooded with DMs. So built up feelings of a hurt unaddressed, of feeling unseen, unheard, unsupported, feeling lonely is going to color your interactions with your partner, good and bad. Resentment is going to take a couple inches off them doing anything well or supportive. And it's going to add a couple inches to when they mess up. And that's really important to understand because when you walk in to a conversation, not knowing that you're really resentful or drenched in resentful, you and your partner are talking about two very different realities. Like they already feel it's stacked against them. What's the point? And so it's not that you need to hide it. Know that it is at play so that you understand when you're speaking from it and when it's triggered and when, you know, you can actually have another point of view or be open to another point of view. Mm-hmm. So my first one would be like awareness that resentment's at play. Yeah. And I think resentment really, it really develops like kind of in the shadows and like individually, mm. like of what you're saying, you know, Drew's out until nine o'clock at night. So from seven to nine, if you're just sitting there being like, oh my God, Fuming. I'm like over <laughs> watching like the same television and like, why? Right. It's not like it's happening actively with yes, them. Yes, that's it such brews. a good point. Thank you. I'm like, damn, you're so good. <laughs> like, yes. It typically brews internally. And then mm-hmm. it's what do we do with that? And I think, you know, the earlier we can acknowledge that that is going on to even be able to say like, hey, I'm realizing that I'm really, I'm having some feelings about you, you know, going out every Monday night or happy hours on Fridays or, you know, fill in the blank with whatever it is and just making, making it overt to your partner. As soon as you recognize that Mm -hmm. it's going on, I think is a very, very big, a huge part of it. Or like you can't resolve resentment on your own. It gets created individually, but it can't be resolved individually. You have to bring your partner into it And that is a lot of hard work. That's a lot of difficult conversations that you might, depending on how long the resentment's been brewing, you know, you might need support around that. We're talking, you know, whatever therapy or books or, you know, whatever it is, it's not depending how long it's been swept under the rug. It's not as simple as being like, I'm resentful. And your partner's like, okay, great. Let me make it better. 
So, yeah. And to your point, if you're listening to this right now and rolling your eyes and going, I've shared, nothing's changed. I've shared my resentment. You know, we need you to know and believe your experience is valid. Yeah. Period. You feel burnout because you are burnout. You're exhausted and things feel unbalanced. So you're resentful because they are. So, as much as yes, how to Stacy's point, repair happens with like your partner responding to you and working through those conversations. If you have an unresponsive partner to your resentment, then you also need to take it into your own hands and do what you can control. And that might look like getting individual support, getting a natural support system, whether that's a babysitter, daycare, whatever you got to do. Cause that resentment, if you've got a stuck person is not going anywhere. So the thing that comes up for me when we're talking about this is like, I had unmet needs, but Mm -hmm. here's why I think it's so complicated for moms is that I had an unmet need. I was never really taking time with my friends. I was never really taking time for the, the stuff that I enjoyed outside of motherhood because I had really bad mom guilt. I was a working mom. It was like, I just felt like every minute that I wasn't at work, I should be with my baby. And I can like, look back now and be like, that's, you know, that's ludicrous. Like no, no one can be that on all the time, but I do know that's where I was working from. I was like, how can you want to spend time away from our family when we both work and we already have to spend time away? So I know that this is the million dollar question, but if women are suffering from mom guilt in a way that like really isn't allowing them to to say, even do their workout, like how can they start to take steps to like uncover and address their mom guilt? So first I want to validate that I think mom guilt is very real. Mm. (laughs) Like that is the most valid, real, everybody I know experiences it. I know I personally experience it. And I think that it is very, it's a journey to understand where it comes from because mom guilt usually feeds into some narrative that we have about ourselves, right? Like a, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I know for me, I had a stay at home mom growing up and I am a working mom. And so for a very long time with my daughter, like I felt I felt like I was less than because I remember doing all these like, you know, fun crafts and things with my mom. And I'm just like, I don't have the energy for it. Right. And I remember, I remember even like talking to Rach about it. Like, I think understanding the root and where it comes from is a really, really important part of understanding how to break it down Yeah, because mom guilt means you're sending negative messages to yourself and you have to be able to shift those messages to be able to take up space. So if I was working with somebody with mob guilt, I would have them get really curious about where they're thinking it's stemming from, what narrative it's perpetuating for them, and then working on breaking that down. So that's where I would start. What would you say? I like bringing mom guilt into the light. I remember I'm like looking, we're in my dining room and I remember walking out this doorway I had somewhere to go. It was my daughter. We had my daughter and I don't think I was pregnant with my son yet. And I remember looking at my husband and going, I feel so guilty leaving right now. Like I feel so guilty leaving right now. And he looked at me like, but you want to go to wherever I was going and bringing it into light took away at least half its power right then and there. And so when we're working with 
couples or moms or dads, because I think dads can have a level of guilt too, depending on the arrangement. One thing is to bring it into the light and almost kind of fact check it with someone else, whether it is your partner or a friend. And just, again, it's so in the, the shame, there's judgment in the dark. It's so strong, but bringing mom guilt into the light and saying, am I a bad mom for wanting to go and do this by myself? Like, let just like say that out loud, ask a friend, ask a partner, you know, write it out on a piece of paper, say it out loud. Don't just let that tape play inside because I think, again, it's very powerful in the shadows and it, I don't know, it almost cuts us off from a certain level of emotion to it. It allows that narrative like you were talking about to keep going. So I would bring it into the light and try and check it with someone to kind of cut some of that power out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we have been talking about where a lot of these things, they're journeys. This isn't like one day you walk out your door and you don't have it anymore. I've been working on it for six years. Like this is something that, you know, it doesn't go away. One thing I like to tell women when they ask me, when they're really, I was in a phase where I really didn't like to do anything outside my house. And then I started on Saturday mornings, going to the coffee shop for one or two hours. Like I had a book, I had breakfast, I had coffee, and then I would come home and I would see that my partner was fine and that my kids were fine. And Drew was like, Amy, you know what? It gives me time to bond with our children in a way that I can't, you're shutting me out of like a good bond with our children because they always want you when you're here. Like that was just for whatever reason, our kids have always gravitated towards me. So he's like, these are really special times. And then I built to like going to dinner. So it's like, if you're, if you are stuck right now, it's not like you're, it's not going from zero to going on a long weekend with your partner away. You know, it's like those small steps that I feel like can get people, you get the proof of concept. Like, okay, I feel a lot better when I get breaks. A, B, my partner, my kids are fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to your point, I think sometimes a feeling as intense as mom guilt, it actually kind of blinds us for how it maybe enables different patterns or different relationships, like, like of what you're saying, like you probably felt burnt out and had everything else going on, but then you didn't want to leave because of mom guilt, but then that's actually reinforcing your kids needing you right. By being there all the time and drew feeling like he is free to go and fly and, you know, do whatever he needs to do. Or that drew can't be with them Yes, or or he can't be a good dad. I can't do it the right way. So why am I even going to try it? Yeah. Or even looking at healthy, you know, healthy child, like development is that there is there is something very healthy for kids to see their parents leave and come back. Yep. Like that builds a secure yep. attachment. And so when we are there all the time and they feel that anxiousness and that energy, that could actually be more harmful and somewhat not harmful. You know, you're not putting your kids in danger, but <laughs> sometimes, you know, mom guilt just puts the blinders on and we miss this full picture of if I'm happier, yes. my kids are happier. Yeah. It gives our other parent time to bond. It allows my child to develop a tolerance for me not being there. And that's actually very healthy. So also looking at the the flip side of like what's on the outside of the mom guilt blinders to try to seek some reassurance and this is okay to leave for an hour or a half hour or a walk around the block or whatever it is. And that's starting small. Yeah. It's so wild to even like reflect back to that time because 
as a woman, that's like a feminist and like all these things. It's like, I so quickly fell into patterns that I was like really disempowering myself as a female. And it's like, wait, I actually don't believe that drew a guy like can't, I know he can take care of these kids. So why am I acting like he can't? And I'm raising three boys. Why do I want them to see the mom do every freaking thing? And the dad, you know, gets to have his life outside of the family. Yeah. That's that double bind, right? We're also taught that your worth as a female, as a woman is tied to how good you rear what came out of your body or what you've chosen to call your child. Cause I don't think necessarily you need to have biological kids to feel that bond as well. And I think there's so much pressure of like, well, your worth is there. Your value is there. How well your kids turn out the way they look at you know, come ready, dressed for school, the way, how many activities you have them in, how well they deal with like nap outside. I mean, you name it, it's pressure on us in this role. And then we look at traditionally heterosexual relationships. Men are getting this free pass and yes, is society to blame for that. Sure. But so are we, there is no magical butterfly that's going to come into your relationship or your marriage and go, let me free you of these patriarchal norms, you go now, it's not going to happen. And so starting small to your point, Amy, about the mom guilt is a way to also etch away at this idea that we are only valuable if we show up in motherhood in this way. And that's a lifelong thing that we all have to keep redefining and scratching because it's an old ass narrative that we have been taught and I'm not here for it anymore. Yeah, (laughs) it is like you it is like slowing down and being like, wait, do I actually believe the way that I'm handling this? Cause I didn't, but it took some reflection and some like actually seeing, I thought Drew and I had a very progressive relationship. And then when I looked at what our roles were, it really wasn't progressive. And so like to give really tangible examples, and I'm, I'm like wondering if you guys have some too, is for example, Drew now is in charge of the doctor communication, the dentist communication, the appointments. When Trey had a a positive COVID test recently, Drew got the message. He went to pick him up from daycare and they were like on their way home before I even knew what was happening. And that to me was progress because before (laughs) before I got the I always got the doctor call. I always then had to delegate if I needed help. Like it was just this moment of like, wow, look at him go. He's like, he's got this. So how do you start to like actually share the load? And like, for me, it was honestly completely giving him that whole arena and that whole task because otherwise, like we always also end up as like the delegator, like we were talking about earlier. It was like, I had to get the call, but I was a nurse, so I couldn't leave work like he could. I mean, I just recently, we've been talking about this famous breakdown that I've just had recently in my kitchen to my husband about how, and I resonate with what you're saying. I really felt like we've got very progressive marriage. These roles are pretty even. And I was like telling Stacy, I had a full breakdown in our kitchen, like a real breakdown about how 
with just everything going on in work and our business and our private practices, I felt like I was actually doing more at home to compensate for my, you know, like success. And I wasn't, I wasn't like allowing any shifts to happen. And guess what? It wasn't healthy. So I had a major breakdown in our kitchen and I was like, I need to not deal with A, B and C anymore. So I, for example, I don't deal with the kids almost at all in the morning anymore. Like, because I'm the one that actually takes them to school. He gets them ready from like head to toe lunches, anything they may need, like documents, whatever we need for whatever we're supposed to sign up for that we're probably behind on. I don't think anything of it. Like I don't give it a second thought. It's up to him to check parent square, which is like the way they communicate with the school. All of it is on him because the mental anguish and anxiety it it has caused me to think and get home after a night of working or just to have a, a day of a hard day and think here's all the things I now have to think of for somebody else was killing me. It was absolutely killing me, but I had done it really well for seven years. I had really killed it for seven years. And I had a lot of shame that I couldn't anymore. And that, what did that say about me? And I finally was like, F it. Like I'm not well. And I just, I, I broke down super raw to him. I did not try to give him solutions. I wasn't like, this is what we should do. I just cried for like a good hour off and on. And I sat in what me being silent about it had created, but also like just the unevenness of the roles had created. And I watched my partner go through fear. Does this mean it's over? Do you want a divorce? Do you want this? And I like let all those things just ride so that we could have a very real conversation and tried things out in the moment. Like, well, I don't think that would, no, I don't want a divorce. And what, what about this feeling? No, that does, that solution doesn't feel right. Like, I think that part of why we've seen such a shift in my relationship since then, is I said, here's where I need help. And I let go about also how it went down because I was that burnt out. So when I see things that maybe I wouldn't do in the morning with my kids or prep them a certain way, I don't say anything because I can't have it, my cake and eat it too. I can't say I don't want this part of this mental load or motherhood and then critique him on it if my kids are healthy, happy, and getting to school with all their limbs. Like I need to also take a step back. And I mean, it's been a it's been a game changer. It really has. You know, here's something I'm gonna float past you guys is my friend Abby and I were just having this conversation of Sometimes when you give your partner a task and then they screw it up, it's like, I don't want to generalize, but the woman then is like, well, I might as well do it anyway, because like you drop the ball. And for me, I'm like, okay, it's not like I've never in my life screwed up an appointment or, or forgotten a lunch. So how do you coach people to get through the turbulence that might happen right at first when we're like readjusting to our roles? I think what both of you are saying is just kind of it, like part of, there has to be a recognition that as you're redefining this stuff, part of that has to be an agreement with yourself of letting go it needing to be a certain way. And obviously there's levels of that, right? Like, sure. Like if your husband, you know, dresses the kids in mismatch outfits. Happens quite often. So which happens in my house yeah, all the all time. The time. <laughs> and I'm just looking at her being like, 
well, that's, that's what we went with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a look, but yeah, but like also keeping it inside because how is that going to impact my partner to be like, yeah. you got to dress her better. Like that doesn't matter. Yes. It's not hurting anything. And so I think there has to be like an internal deal to say, what can I let go? Right. Um, what are the things that I can't let go that like do need to be directional or guidance if there's you know, harm that could come from it and whatever, whatever that looks like. But then also how do we have that conversation? Because like, I think you said it perfectly. You can't have your cake and eat it too, when it comes to letting go the mental load, but then keeping yourself in it to have it be done the way that you like it. So, I mean, I was recently challenged by our couples therapist of like, what do I get from, from like proving my partner right? Um, like, how does that like serve me when I like correct those little small she things? Good. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. That one like just landed with me. You right? guys can't see yeah. me. I like leaned back. I was like, oh my gosh, that one was like your therapist gave us one there to chew yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. You should have seen the look I shot her when she challenged me on that. <laughs> but it's true. Like, what are you gaining from micromanaging or correcting or needing to prove a small detail that's really insignificant, right? And so I think we have to do our own reflection of if we want things to change, how can we also change to support that? Pick the relationship or over being right. We yeah. say that all the time. Yeah. We don't yeah. take our own advice, <laughs> but in the instance of, you know, your little one walking out the door in rain boots when it's going to be hundred degrees out, pick the relationship and supporting your partner in that role versus being right. Because what else then are you getting out of it? You're getting off on, oh, I showed him he was wrong. And then you're not choosing each other. You're not choosing the longevity of the relationship. And that's toxic over time. Yep. Stop being toxic. Okay. (laughs) Okay, done. I'm going to give you guys a really hard question that we get all the time. And it's around relationships with each other's parents. So, you know, say your partner thinks that his parents should be able to come meet your baby in the hospital or that his parents should be able to stay a week after you have this baby and you just feel a completely other way. This word boundaries gets brought up so much, but our community is like, yeah, like it sounds good, but like, how does that actually work if we really are landing on two different sides? of the decision. Yeah. I think number one boundaries is a really nice concept that definitely we teach, but it's unrealistic for a lot of families to be like, here's my boundary. You can't meet the baby in the hospital. And your partner's like, you know, not nice responses, maybe not so aggressive, but not receptive or the family. I think it's getting to our point earlier, specific about what it is that really bothers you about that happening or not happening to be explicit about the hospital example. What is it about you having your in-laws visit you at the hospital that just feels super violating or too much? Is it you're worried about being not having enough family time. Is it, are you worried about like your physical appearance? You just had a baby. I don't know about you. I didn't look so great. Are you wanting that special time with your baby on your own? Are you worried about your anxiety? Get really specific on what part does it like align with you? Cause boundaries are about keeping us 
safe and supported and having a space where our needs are met. And so we can't just expect a partner to understand a boundary around something like that without getting really specific about it and then try and get with those specifics, the common ground. So if I don't want my in-laws to visit me, but my partner's like, that's such a big part of how I was raised. It's a community. Everyone's there. Okay. Can we put a cap on that time? Can it be the first day there's no visitors? Can it be the second day? Then everyone gets to come. Can your parents stay at an Airbnb for three of the days? And then two of the days they stay with us. Maybe they don't stay with us at all, but the Airbnb is five minutes from here. You know, I think it's getting specific is really important when you come from different families, as well as like how growing your family looks. Yeah. And I think it's also being really like, let's be clear on what boundaries are. I think a lot of times people are like, well, that's my boundary and you need to respect yeah, it. That's a wall. When really, Yeah, that that is a wall. Boundaries are actually like, think of it as like a fishing net, like it's yep. fluid and things can go through it. And boundaries are actually all about being open to kind of that negotiation yes. and that compromise. So saying something is my boundary and like, end all be all that's actually, that doesn't work. That's, that's a misuse of boundary. <laughs> and when it does come to something as your family changing, you both are going to have your opinions and nobody is wrong for having theirs. And you both have to be open to finding that middle ground. And then tolerating the feelings that come from that, right? Your partner is allowed to be disappointed and you are disappointed as well. Um, As long as you're not pushing anything that's going to make you feel violated or right. And I would say maybe, I think I do believe that leniency should probably go to the person that just had the baby. If we're talking about, (laughs) I'm not comfortable with people seeing my, you know, vagina or like your dad watching me breastfeed. Right. Like, I think that there are some things specifically having a baby that should kind of be weighted one way and your partner is allowed to not, not like that. And that doesn't mean you have to give in or be mad at them. You just kind of got to let them have Have their feelings. feelings. Yeah. I think like, okay, first of all, on mother's day, I said my boundaries were made of steel. So I'm just learning that that (laughs) might've been a misuse of the word, but then also (laughs) the thing that I think it's really, really hard for women is that sometimes you don't know how you're going to feel right when you have the baby. So whether that's your first, whether that's your second. So it's like, we're having to make these decisions about visitors. And I haven't even, I don't know if I just went through a traumatic birth or if my birth was absolutely magical. Like, I don't know what I'm up for. I don't know if my baby is going to be like extra super fussy or if my baby is going to be okay. Like, and I think that's what can get really hard because my husband like a lot of people, he has a really hard time with change of plans, but I'm like, I wasn't planning to feel like I want to cry or whatever it is that comes up for the mom. So it's like, that's where things get sticky and where that communication and sometimes sharing those soft feelings that you have versus, you know, being really standoffish and saying like, no, your mom absolutely can't come. It's like, they need to understand where we're coming from. And I think that that is something in this like particular season of life that you're, you're absolutely right on hitting on like the flexibility of being able to say, I might feel this way. And can we agree on like the right to revoke that? Like, because yeah, yeah, like things might've felt traumatic or you are not bouncing back in the way that you want to. And also 
having those conversations with the people that you know are going to be impacted. So your family, in-laws, babysitters, like whoever else, right? Like to go full circle to your first question of things to talk about beforehand. How do we feel about flexibility of plans? What is like, what's the code word when I'm just like, get my baby, give my baby back to me and like everybody get the hell out of my house, you know, really understanding that, yes, things are going to be hot and cold, most likely. Yeah. And and when they change, it's not anti you or anti, you know, I'm not trying to get at you. I'm not trying to on purpose deny what you wanted. But, and I think that's why it's so crucial to communicate in real time. I didn't have the magical birth I wanted. Now I'm feeling this way, allowing your partner to have the discomfort, but also say, this is not an anti-you thing. This is not, I'm not, I'm truly not trying to disrespect what we had envisioned. And this is how I feel. Just being real about that mess. Yeah. I don't know if you have talked about this book before or even had her on, but Dr. Alexandra Sachs, she's like a maternal, like a perinatal psychologist. She has a book or psychiatrist, I think, called What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions from Pregnancy to Motherhood. And it's like my number one recommendation for incredible like conversation prompts. Like in the second trimester, you should be talking about this. In the third, you should be talking about this. Like so you're prepared for the fourth trimester, like and beyond. Yeah, couldn't recommend that resource more. Yeah, and I love you guys have said it several times in this interview, but the idea of it is okay if your partner's disappointed sometimes. Cause I think if we were socialized as women, like we're not comfortable with disappointing people usually. So like that is a whole new ball game for some people but we also have needs too. And we need to be able to like see those and get them met. Okay. I could talk to you guys all day. We like completely (laughs) went off the script because I'm just like, this is where, you know, these are the real conversations that I really felt like our community needed. I wanted to end with this one. You guys have shared this statistic from the Gottman Institute before, and I find it to be so interesting and eye-opening. It says that 67% of couples experienced a precipitous decline in relationship satisfaction in their first three years of a baby's life. Now, this one's hard for a lot of people to swallow because it's like, we want to be happy in our partnerships. Like we want that to be a place where we are satisfied. So is there anything that I know we've been talking about this, the whole interview, but like, if you guys could wrap us up with a few things that are really important to keep in mind for how we can maybe slow that decline and maybe even get it headed in the other direction. I think my favorite go-to's regardless of kids or not, but specifically because of that decline that we just know happens across the board is carving out time for you and your person to be people together. And even if you've got no kids and this is your first rodeo or it's your fifth rodeo, and I think date night gets thrown around a lot and there's a lot of eye rolls, sacred time for you and your person. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy, to not be in the same four walls that you're always in talking about life, 
job, hopes, dreams, family stressors, whatever it is, could not be more important to the longevity of not only your relationship, but your individual happiness, because you're checking in with your person about who they are right now. That sacred date time, that sacred time together, again, doesn't have to be anything fancy. Take, uh, I don't know, dinner walks by yourselves after, you know, as a couple, but without any other little kids, if possible, and checking in with who you are right now and constantly dipping into that well of like thoughts, emotions is so huge because when we're not in front of the TV, when we're not just talking on the way home from work, when we're not, you know, trying to do it while like little hands are grabbing at us during dinner, the conversations are very different. And so are the things we're sharing and not sharing. So if I could give one tip to everyone out there, whatever that date night sacred time looks like, prioritize it because it is one of those through lines that I think could really curb that decline later. Mm -hmm. I think what I would say would be don't lose the relationship with yourself, which I think speaks to what we've been talking about. But I think a big part when you become a parent, you become a different person and we don't know who or what that person is going to be. And that can be really jarring for the relationship. And yes. so you have to have that time for you, your, you know, to use a cheesy analogy, like your cup does have to be full to be able to pour to everybody else. And I know me and every mom I know knows the experience of all of a sudden you're just running on empty and you hate everyone. <laughs> yeah. And you don't recognize yourself in the mirror. So to protect your relationship as counterintuitive as it can be, you have to prioritize yourself, whether it is that workout or, you know, managing mom guilt or going to therapy, you know, whatever, whatever it is, you have to prioritize yourself or your relationship will suffer and finding out what that routine and what that schedule looks like that fits best for your family has to be, you know, has to be top of the list. Those two things that you guys just said are so important. I mean, it just, it's crazy. I remember Drew one time I can like vividly remember he was like, I miss the Amy that is not their mom. Yes. Yes. That was such a nice way for him to say what he was feeling is like, I was, I was in mom mode. And if I wasn't, I was kind of an autopilot. I was like, how was your day? And that was like our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's like, yeah, to remember to be a person, but then to also be interested in your person. Mm -hmm. I think we think it doesn't, I don't know when you get the baby in the house or the picket fence and the golden retriever that it's all just supposed to be easy. And it is work to stay interested in your person and who your person is right now. And it may take a little work to get back to that, but that's okay. And I think a baby comes and the focus to Stacy's point is not on the relationship that feels counterintuitive. It's like everything has to be around the baby, but we got to prioritize the relationship and who's half of the relationship. You. Right. Uh, okay. You two tell everyone where they can find more of you, because I know from this interview, they are going to want to. <laughs> You could find us on Instagram, decoding underscore couples. That's where we show up every single day. (laughs) Um, And if you're interested in learning more from us, you're taking one of our courses, you can check out our website, decodingcouples.com. 
Okay. You guys, if you enjoyed this episode, we would absolutely love if you shared it on Instagram, tagging, expecting an empowered and decoding couple. Yes. Thank you so much for having us on. Of course. My pleasure.